how good was that worship service? Come on, can we thank the worship team? Come on, let's thank them. The worship team has been so faithfully serving night after night. We've been in a season we call Solemn Assembly, where we take the first week of the year and we give it to the Lord. And so every night this week, we've met right here at 7 o'clock and just had unbelievable experiences and encounters with God's presence. And we're so thankful for our worship team for leading us so faithfully night after night. We've got a few things coming up. Uh, First of all, I want to give you a little bit more information about how you can learn how you best connect with God. Here at Mercy Culture, we believe that there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. But in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. And what that means is simply that the church, in a lot of ways, have done us a disservice in sort of implying that there's only one way to connect with the Lord. And that's the way that the pastor or the worship leader connects with God. But we know that there are many ways that you can connect with God. Some of you connect with God through movement. Some of you through the arts. And some of you through conversation and learning. And there are so many ways to connect with the Lord. And we want to help you discover how you best connect with God. And we do that through a process that we call MC Connect. And MC Connect is the first step in joining Mercy Culture Church and in being part of this community. But more importantly than that, MC Connect is the way in which we disciple others into daily encounters with the Lord. Because as important as corporate encounters are, I've been serving the Lord a long time, and I've never seen anybody sustain their walk with God without encountering Him every day. Quite frankly, I don't know how you live life without asking the Lord what to do. Because I'm not that smart. And I'm raising kids. Can I get a good amen? And uh, especially when you're raising children, you've got to go before the Lord and ask God, what do I do with these kids? How do I proceed with my job and my career and my ministry and my marriage and my family and whatever the situation may be? We want to help you to develop that uh, discipline of encountering the Lord every single day. And we do that through MC Connect. Just text the word connect to 59090 and we will help you through that process. We got some big announcements, some big stuff coming up beginning next Sunday. Somebody say next Sunday. Sunday. We are going to two services. So our service times next week will be 9 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. They will be two identical services. You don't have to come to both. Amen. There'll be two identical services. We're making room for in our children's, in MC Kids, we're making room. We're making room here in the tent. We're making room in parking um, in all the different areas. Uh, we felt like the Lord said in 2023 was our year to run and to make room for growth. So we're going to start that next Sunday, the 15th. I'm also excited to share with you and to deliver to you next Sunday morning the word of the year for this house. And every year we go before the Lord, the elders and the pastors, and we seek God. And we ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying for this year for Mercy Culture? And if it's the word over this house, and you are part of this house, and it is the word over your house. So I want to encourage you not to miss next Sunday. It's going to be incredible. Uh, how many of you are in the midst, not how many, everybody, we are in the middle of a 40-day fast. At the beginning of this year, beginning on January 2nd, we started a 40-day corporate fast. I want to just tell you, you can do it. Keep going. Let me give you 
a tip. Don't count the days. <laughs> this morning I was thinking, we have this. I said, stop. Don't count the days. Don't count the days because we got a little ways to go. But God has been so faithful. I told you guys this testimony. Y'all know one of my connect with God ways is through food. It may not technically be one of the ways, but I think it should be. Because when I eat good food, ooh, praise God. I connect with God. And so last year, I did a 40-day fast. My wife and I did one, and we didn't call one corporately. We did a 21-day fast at church, but we felt like the Lord called us into 40 days. And last year, during that 40-day fast, I felt nothing. I felt nothing but hungry. My daily encounters were just, I was like, God, I'm so hungry. I can't do it. And what happened is that after the fast was over, I began to just have these incredible revelations and encounters with the Lord. And all throughout the year, people kept saying to me, you know, you're walking in this because of your obedience in that fast. You know, you're walking in this favor and this authority because of the fast. And I believe it was just a step of obedience because y'all, I really, y'all think I'm joking. I really do love food. Like really, really, really love food. And it was just a step of obedience to the Lord to step out. And in, in September of this year, God told me to fast again for 40 days. And then we called a corporate fast. And for me, this time has been much easier. And God has just been moving. It's easy in his presence. Uh, we've also got one other announcement. Let me see. I don't want to forget it. We have a rally at the Capitol in Austin, Texas tomorrow. From 4 to 6 p.m. We are just rallying at the Capitol. It is the beginning of the legislative season for the state of Texas. And all of our locations are gathering together tomorrow at 4 p.m. to rally and worship and pray inside of the Capitol building. We've been gained access inside the Capitol building. And we're going to have live worship and prayer if you'd like to join us. You can text the word uh, Liberty to 59090. And there's going to be some, some options for you there. Just choose the correct option and get some more information about that. Or you can just join us 4 p.m. tomorrow in Austin. It ain't nothing but a, what, an hour and 15-minute drive, maybe an hour and a half. Just a hop, skip, and a jump down to Austin. And we're going to worship in the Capitol. It's going to be incredible. If you'd like to, to see my notes, everything that's in front of me can be texted to you. Just text the word notes to 59090. You'll get a link back to that. Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning in verse 16. The Bible says, Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast. And she laid her dead son at my breast. When I arose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the, jet, the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. In verse 24, and the king said, bring me a sword. 
So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, O my lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall neither be mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death, for she is his rightful mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. I've come to tell you this morning that the heart's cry of a good steward is this, it will never be mine, it will always be yours. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have met us in this place this morning. And Father, we give this service to you. Lord, we don't make room for you, Holy Spirit. We give you the room. This place belongs to you. Our lives belong to you. It will never be ours. It will always be yours. So give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive. Father, we lay down performance, comparison, and the need to impress. And we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys know we've been stewarding a prophetic word over this house. The 2022 was the year of expanding territory, and we're going to hear the word of the year for 2023 next week. So just hold on, you're going to hear it. But how many know that prophetic words don't just expire? There's no expiration date. But we are building upon word after word and year after year. So this is still, still the year of expanding territory for your life. We are still expanding territory in every way. You guys know back in April when we first launched Mercy Culture Waco, I began to pray and ask the Lord what he was speaking over our church. And the Lord said that in 2022, he was laying a foundation for our house that in the city of Waco, MC Waco would be a force to be reckoned with. And then in 2023, he would build upon that strong foundation and we would run with great vision. So this is the year to run with great vision. But before I was to deliver the word of the year next for this year, I felt the Lord say that we needed to get a revelation on stewardship. And so the last several weeks of the end of 2022, we've been laying the foundation of our culture. Mercy Culture Church has a very strong culture. Some of you guys laugh because uh, we repeat our vision over and over and over again. The vision of Mercy Culture Church is... All right, but that helped. That, that did help. I think that helps you guys. But we repeat the vision over and over. But I grew up in a church that I went to church for decades and never knew what the vision of our house was. So we're very intentional about, about building culture and healthy culture at all times. And our culture consists of four elements. Our vision, our values, which we've been teaching for the last 12 weeks, every week, one of our values 
It also includes our unique characteristics. This is what makes mercy culture unique, not better, just different, just unique. Why God called us to plant a church in this city. And it includes our leadership standards, the non-negotiables. And uh, last year, we introduced a new value as a house. It is the value of stewardship. And we put it this way, stewardship is managing heaven's resources for the Father's business. The heart's cry of a good steward is it will never be mine, it will always be yours. And when given the choice between an ownership or employment mentality, we choose the third option, stewardship. And stewardship is one of the greatest revelations that I think I have ever received in my life. And it took me a long time. Uh, I'm a little dense sometimes. My wife is not here. She'd be laughing louder than anybody. It takes me a little bit of, sometimes it takes repetition uh, for me to get it. But I've learned the value of stewardship over the years. And it's become one of the greatest revelations and a life-changing uh, a value in my life. Because I grew up in a church that talked a lot about generosity. Talked a lot about sowing and reaping. We often heard things like, God is about to. Anybody ever grew up in church and heard that a lot? God's fixing to do this, and God's about to do that, and God's about to do this. And it always seemed to me like we were on the verge of something great about to happen, but it never quite happened. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And we talked a lot about generosity and about sowing and about reaping, and I want to be careful and make sure you understand I believe in generosity. And I believe in the power of sowing into the house of God and reaping. But there are two sides to that coin. We must be generous, but we also must have the value and the revelation of stewardship. Because if we just give and we just talk about generosity and we don't know how to steward what God gives to us, we will always be in a perpetual season of it's about to happen. It's about to happen, but we never quite seem to have enough, enough time, enough energy, enough resources for it to actually happen. Why? Because we don't have the revelation of what it means to be a good steward. You see, stewardship is mentioned all throughout the Bible. It's just mentioned in different ways, in words like faithfulness. Jesus teaches us to be faithful in all things. The Lord is teaching us to be good stewards. But so many of us are missing out on the favor of the Lord because we haven't learned how to be a good steward. You see, favor of God is not just having our needs met. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seen begging for bread. You see, some of us have, have found, uh, uh, we have become complacent in just not begging for something. Come on, we become complacent in just the ability to have just enough. We say, well, at least we're not begging, right? And we've just rested on that. But how many want to see the favor of God in your life? Come on, not just that I'm not, not begging for something, but that there is an overflow, an abundance of favor or more than enough in my life. Stewardship comes from the Greek word, Egonamie, and it means managing a household. It is management, where a person looks after another person's affairs. 
Our definition is this, the managing of the resources of heaven for the Father's business. If we can get this revelation that everything that we have belongs to the Lord, we are only managers, our stewards. When I say everything, I mean the word everything. Everything belongs to God. All of your possessions, all of your energy, all of the people in your life, all of the gifts that you have upon your life, it all belongs to the Lord. Psalms 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and what? Okay. The earth is the Lord's and what? Everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. You see, it is impossible to be a good steward if we don't understand this base principle. It is impossible to steward well if we think that we must have ownership of things. Think about it this way. The things that you have the most difficult time stewarding are the things that you think belong to you. Even the word Lord in this scripture in the Greek, it means ownership. The Lord owns all things. And when we can get that revelation that none of this belongs to us, it does two things. It, it helps us to realize what our true job is. We see Noah stewarding the future of humanity by fulfilling the word that the Lord told him to build the ark. We see Abraham stewarding the promised land that God led the children of Israel into. We see Joseph stewarding the prophetic dream that God gave to him as a young man for 20 years until he stepped into the fulfillment of that dream. We see Moses learning to steward all of the children of Israel out of Egypt and into their promise. We see David learning to steward the very presence of God. We see the disciples stewarding the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. We see Paul stewarding the New Testament church that didn't belong to him but belonged to the Lord. And we see Jesus stewarding the will of the father see Jesus was God in the flesh he was fully God and fully man and even Jesus said I don't do my own will but I do the will of the one that sent me in other words it'll never be mine it will always be his it is a theme throughout scripture stewardship is just an underlying theme we are entrusted to steward everything in our lives. This is the revelation that I have learned. This is where the Lord had to take some time with me and work it out. Because we often think of stewardship in siloed ways. I need to steward my money or I need to steward my health or I need to steward my energy. But we are called to steward everything. We are called to steward all things. As the elders were praying into 2022 last year and asking God what he wanted to do, Pastor Landon tells this story of being on a run and wrestling with this idea of an ownership mentality or an employment mentality. If you've ever read a leadership book or listened to leadership podcast, you'll often hear leaders talk about trying to get their employees to go from just an employee mentality to an ownership mentality. We were praying and asking the Lord, Lord, how do we help people to go to an ownership mentality? And God spoke and said, you don't. 
You don't try to get people to go to an ownership mentality. We choose the third option. We're not employees and we are not owners. We are stewards of all that belongs to the Lord. We want to help the owners to understand that your job is to steward what God has given to you. Even those of you that own businesses, it belongs to the Lord. You are just its steward. Those of you that have children, they belong to the Lord. We are just the steward for a short period of time. What areas of our life do we need to learn to steward? Well, we need to learn to steward our finances and our resources. That we learn to hold on to the things that God has given to us with a loose hand. That we give it back to him. We have to learn to steward our relationships and our family. I want to teach you this morning, if you're frustrated with your family, you're probably not stewarding them well. I'm going to say it again over here. If you're frustrated with your family, steward them better. Some of you feel like maybe I've, I've... Falling out of love with my spouse. No, you're not stewarding your marriage well. Some are going to too many soccer games and you need to go to more date nights. For some of us, we need to learn how to steward our marriages and our families better. I uh, had, Pastor Landon put it this way in his message, he was sentenced to youth pastoring for a season. Um, thank God my season of sentencing to youth pastoring was very short-lived. But Nikki and I did youth pastor. As a matter of fact, I think we youth pastored a couple of y'all that are in the room. Uh, that's how old we are. But we youth pastored many, many, many years ago. And in that season, I met a lot of parents. We were young parents. Our, our oldest was only six months old at the time. We were young parents, and we were we were teaching young people, and we would sit down with parents, and, and what I found was a lot of parents wanted to be their 13 and 14 and 15-year-old's friend. They wanted to be friends with them. They wanted, to, they wanted to, to have fun with them. They wanted them to like them. They wanted them to laugh with them and enjoy them and to like them all the time. Listen, parents, if your goal is for your children to always love you, you're going to fail. I'm going to say it again. We're quiet this morning. If your goal is for your children to always love you, you're going to fail. Some of the parents are like, wait a second. I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I, if I agree with that. If your teenager is never frustrated with you, you are not parenting them well. You're trying to be friends with them instead of trying to be parents to them. For some parents, it's like a revelation when I say, hey, you're a 14-year-old. You're the parent. It's like, wow, I am? Yes, you can tell them no. And you can tell them, yes, you will do this. You are the steward of our children. And some of us are looking at other people's families and other people's children and other people's marriages, and we are searching for something else. If you want what everybody else has, you're a bad steward. About 
Two and a half years ago, we went to Washington to to a prayer room in Washington State. We began to pray and seek the Lord about what the principalities were over the city of Waco. And ask God, God, what are the spiritual strongholds over this city? And you guys that have been around here long know what those are. And we pray into them. We've been praying into them all week this week in solemn assembly. But one of the spiritual strongholds was a spirit of covetousness. What does that mean? It means that I want what somebody else has. As I was preparing for this message, the Lord showed me that one of the roots to the spirit of coveting is poor stewardship. When we are not stewarding well, we become jealous of what good stewards are stewarding well. We look at other people's families and relationships and, and finances and children, and we say, if only I had what they have, when the answer is, you need to learn how to steward better. Some of us are stewarding bad relationships that bear no fruit. In Luke chapter 13, we see this story, this parable of an owner of an orchard that said this tree is not bearing fruit. And it's been three years that it's bore no fruit. And he tells the manager of his orchard, I want you to cut that tree down. And the manager says, wait, just give me one more year to cultivate this tree and see if it bears fruit before I have to cut it down. Some of you have been cultivating dead trees and dead relationships that bear no fruit fruit for years after year after year, and you need to cut it down. There are some people that have relationships and you've wondered, why can't I seem to expand territory? It's because you are running with people that don't want to run at all. It's because you're running with people that when you share your heart and your vision, they have 47 reasons as to why you'll never accomplish it. It's when you're, some of us are running with people that when we start to talk about good stewardship and, and, and start to talk about the revelations that we're receiving, they start to tell you why you should be a victim. And why you should feel bad and you should want what other people have. There are dead relationships that need to be cut down. And some of you have God-given relationships that you have not stewarded well. There are kingdom relationships in your life that you've allowed time to go by. And I've come to tell you this morning, you need to go after those people and restore those relationships. This happened between my family and the Schott family. Pastor Lannon and Pastor Heather are senior lead pastors of Mercy Culture in Fort Worth. We've been friends with them, best friends for almost 17 years now. I think it is 17 years. Long time. We were babies when we met. Infants, mere infants. And we've been friends a long time. And, and there was a season in our life. We were in an unhealthy ministry with the Jezebel leader. And this spirit of Jezebel started to sow discord within our families. And if we would have allowed that discord and that spirit of offense to remain, I believe that the spirit of offense knew the purpose of God on the union of these two families for 2023 and what God's heart was for the city of Waco. And the enemy said, they need each other to be stronger. They need each other to accomplish all that God has called on their life to accomplish. And he sent a spirit of of offense to break up a kingdom relationship. And it was one day I was at home and Nikki was gone and I was praying and it just hit me. I'm not friends with Landon anymore. 
We're not friends anymore. What has happened? I started praying to it, and I had a little intercessor woman, an incredible woman of God. She was one of my intercessors, and she called me. She said, hey, you don't ever talk about Landon anymore. You never talk about what you've been talking about, what God's been speaking. Why aren't you friends with him anymore? I said, I don't know. We're friends. She goes, no, you're not. You need to fix it. If you don't have an intercessor like that, get one. You need somebody in your life to go fix it. Well, I just think fix it, right? I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And I called Landon. And I said, hey, bro, why aren't we friends anymore? He goes, what do you mean? We're friends. I go, no, we're not. We're not friends anymore. He goes, I, I don't know. And he tells Heather, they talked that night, Heather, why aren't we friends with the Cody's anymore? She said, I don't know. When we sat down and we began to talk, the facade of the lies of the enemy began to break apart in a moment. It didn't take six months. It didn't take two years. It was one conversation, and the house of cards of lies began to break apart in front of us. That Jezebelic leader told them bad things about us that were lies and told us bad things about them that were lies. And they did it in a systematic way, slowly, bit by bit over time, so much so that we didn't even realize the offense we were building up towards one another did not even come from what within us. It was death by a thousand paper cuts. We started to allow little lies to build up over time and cause a break and a division in a kingdom relationship. Don't allow the spirit of offense to begin to break up kingdom relationships that God has for you. Isn't it interesting that people that are not even part of this community carry an offense towards this community? People start to Google mercy culture and go, you going to that church? You going to that church that's so political? No, we're not political. We're not political. We cry out for justice. It's not political to stand up for the unborn. It's not political to stand and say no more unrighteousness, no more lies, no more will we set back and allow the enemy to proclaim lies, not in our city, not in our time. That's not politics. And people begin to sow spirits of offense. And we steward relationships well by silencing the voices that need to be silenced. We steward our health and our energy. And we do that through the Sabbath. God laid out a plan for us with the Sabbath. It's so funny. The Sabbath is the only commandment that Christians think is okay to break. Imagine saying, well, I only murder every once in a while. <laughs> right? I only steal, you know, when I really, really want something. Now, we don't think it's okay to break any other commandment except for the Sabbath. And we use things and excuses like, well, I'm being a good steward by working seven days a week. No, you don't trust the Lord. No, you don't trust that God can do more with six days than you can do with seven. You think you need to help God and that his plan is somehow flawed. And we say things like, well, I'm advancing the kingdom and ministry, so I've got to work seven days a week like you out on the streets, Sunday to Sunday, winning people for Jesus and not watching Netflix. No, no, no. You're just a bad steward, and we're disobedient to the Lord, and we've got to steward our health and wellness and energy by obeying the principle of the Sabbath rest. 
And some of us, we start off with gangbusters at the beginning of the year, and we go through solemn assembly, and it's like church every day. Like, come on, let's go. I'm, I'm, I'm just ready to go. I could run through walls. I could defeat the enemy. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm ready to go. And then February comes along, and you're still feeling pretty good, and things are going, and you're living off the fumes of solemn assembly, and then you start to put, put, put into March, and then all of a sudden you hit a wall, and you go, what is going on? Why don't I feel what I felt at the beginning of the year? I guess I better get back to church because I need to get fed. And we forgot that grown-ups feed themselves. And we forgot that if we're going to sustain our walk with the Lord, we must steward our spiritual lives well. That means that we have to have daily encounters with the Lord and steward our spirits well. We steward prophetic words. And this is why I felt so led to deliver this word this morning, because the word that God is going to deliver for us this next year, we need to learn how to steward the word of the Lord well. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but for a lifetime. You see, some of the songs that we sing, you thought were just songs, but they're actually the stewarding of prophetic words. Three and a half years ago, Pastor Landon delivered a sermon in Pascal High School in Fort Worth, Texas, and began to prophesy and declare, fear go, Holy Spirit come. And Pastor Jasmine began to sing out of a prophetic utterance moment, fear go, Holy Spirit come. And just a few short weeks after that, a pandemic of fear swept our nation, and we began to steward the prophetic word of the Lord. And millions and millions of people have streamed that song all over planet earth declaring fear go, Holy Spirit come. We put it on t-shirts and, and jewelry and bracelets. We put it on the side of the building. We sang songs about it. That is stewarding prophetic words over your life. But some of us run from house to house looking for somebody to give us another word. If I could just get another prophetic word over here, if I could just hear what I want to hear from this person, if I could just find somebody to scratch that itch that I have over here, he didn't give me the word I want, let me go to this house and get the prophetic word that I want. No, be planted, be rooted, and steward the word of the Lord well. We must steward our mind and our thoughts some of us in this room don't have a temptation problem. We have a stewardship problem. You think that the temptation that the enemy is giving to you belongs to you. You have picked it up and taken ownership of your temptation when even temptations belong to the Lord. Even those things that tempt you will never be ours. They will always be his. They are not ours to own. We choose the third option, stewardship. So we steward our minds and our thoughts. We take every thought captive, and we renew our minds with the mind of Christ. And we put those lies of the enemy out. We must steward our bodies well. You hear a lot in the house of God about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but we don't hear a lot about the Golden Corral. <laughs> Amen. We got to steward our bodies well. And sometimes that just means learning how to be disciplined. Ah, nobody wants to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it, frankly. I don't want to talk about being disciplined with my body. 
but we have got to steward our health well. How can you do what God's called you to do if you can't even make it to the starting line to do it? We've got to steward our bodies well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a what? A temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. Say it. Say, I am not. My own. my own. It kind of blows apart the worldly theology of my body, my choice, doesn't it? I said that kind of blows apart the world's theology of my body, my choice. Your body is not your own. We belong to the Lord. We have to steward the presence of God in our lives, and we have to steward our daily encounters with him. We must steward, watch this, everything in our lives. And when we learn to steward what God has given to us, he will breathe his favor on it. How many of you want the favor of God? Not just enough, but the overflowing, overwhelming, undeniable favor of the Lord. God will not waste his favor on a poor steward. In Matthew chapter 25, we see a parable that Jesus gave. And this parable is about people that were given talents. It's about the good stewards and the poor stewards. And it teaches us that we will give an account for all that God has given to us. In verse 14, it said, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. This is Jesus telling this parable. He said he called his servants and he entrusted to them. It's the third option. They didn't own it. It belonged to the master, but he entrusted to them his property. Everything that you have has been entrusted to you by the creator of the universe. The very papers that prove that you own your home or business were made out of the trees that God fashioned with his own hands. It all belongs to him. Verse 15 says, to one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Some of us are frustrated with what you've been given, but you just need the ability to handle more. We've got to learn how to handle more of what God entrusts us. That word entrusted in the Greek is parathizomi, and it means from close behind, to give, to turn over, to hand over, to deliver over with a sense of close personal involvement. Some of us, the things that you are the closest to are the things that we get confused and we begin to think they're ours. Those things that we're the closest to, we start to think that they belong to us, our children that we raised, that we nursed, that we gave birth to, that we've cared for, we are close to them and we begin to think that we own them. We begin to think that they belong to us. The things that are closest to us can cloud our spiritual judgment and make us think that, think that we must pick up ownership of those things. Things like our money. I'm going to be authentic with you. Authenticity is one of our values here at Mercy Culture Church. And 
authentically speaking, talking about money can sometimes be an intimidating thing for a pastor because there are spiritual there there's there are a few things that I feel spiritual resistance about uh, greater than than with money. When we begin to talk about money, we can feel spiritual resistance, and it can be intimidating at times. But I'm not up here to get your money. Let me tell you something. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money, and he doesn't need mine. I'm here to tell you the word of the Lord and to teach us how to steward well. So why don't people tithe? Why don't people obey the word of the Lord in giving our tithe? Well, there are three reasons. You're greedy, you're afraid, or you're a poor steward. And one of the main reasons that people refuse to obey God through the tithe is because we're bad stewards. If you'll notice around here at Mercy Culture, we don't even take up tithes and offerings. We don't take a moment within our service to pass around an offering bucket. People give as they are led. They are simply obedient to the word of God. But it is so important for us to teach on the obedience of stewarding our finances and generosity well. Because it if you are greedy, you can always find some YouTube or Facebook theologian to reinforce your greed. You will find somebody in a 22-minute YouTube video that will tell you why you're right and will feed your flesh and make your flesh feel good and righteous to set in your greediness and disobedience to the Lord. The main thing that I hear from people when we get to talk about tithing is they say things like, I can't afford it. And why do we say that? It's because we've put God last. You see, you can never not afford what you give to first. You see, for most of us, we manage our finances in this way. We give, we give to everybody else but God. We pay every bill, we supply every need, and we even supply many of our wants and our desires with the finances that we've been entrusted to. And then we look at what's left, and we say, God, how can I be obedient to you with the leftovers? And we call that good stewardship. This happened to me in my life many years ago. Nikki and I were on staff at a church, and it was an unhealthy environment. It was the same environment that I told you about earlier where discord was sown between Pastor Landon and Heather and Pastor Nikki and myself. And it was early on in our tenure there. We were there for several years, and we knew things were unhealthy. And I could feel my heart beginning to get hard. God had called us to serve in that house. He didn't ask me if the leaders were healthy. That was none of my business. It didn't belong to me. It belonged to him. But I picked up ownership. And I picked up ownership of my own heart. And I said, I'm going to protect my heart and my spirit. So I began to build walls. And as a staff member, I began to say things within my own spirit, like I'm only going to give this much of my energy and my effort. And my heart began to be hardened. And it wasn't hardened against a man. It was hardened against the house of the Lord. And that pastor noticed. And he called a meeting with me and Nikki. It was a difficult meeting. And he said, I'm going to ask you a question. He said, I want you to be fully honest with me. What percentage of yourself are you giving to this house? And I stopped and I asked the Lord. It came up in my spirit. I said, 60%. And his eyes got big. 
and he pulled out this paperwork and he said, do you know that you've only been tithing 60% of the amount that your tithe is supposed to be? Now, he knew what 10% of my income was because I worked for him. He said, you've only been giving 60% of what your tithe is supposed to be. Family, I didn't even realize that I wasn't tithing fully. I didn't even know. I didn't make a conscious decision to give less than the 10% that God commanded me to give. I had never not tithed. What happened? My heart was reflected in my money. Ah. Your money always reflects your heart posture. The Bible says that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. The Bible says that the root of some, no, all evil is the love of money. Your finances will reflect your heart posture towards God. The tithe is translated a tenth part or a tenth. In biblical numerology, the number 10 means a testimony or a test, a law or a responsibility. Some people say, well, you're talking about the Old Testament. When you say that, what you mean is you're talking about the law, the law that some people say Jesus came to fulfill, and I don't have to listen to the law anymore. Well, I've got news for you. The tithe is a principle that was delivered and revealed long before the law was ever given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Abraham began to tithe, or Moses, I'm sorry, yes, Abraham began to tithe to the Lord because he had an intimate relationship with God, and he knew what was valuable and what the Father wanted. In Genesis 14, 20, it says, and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. The principle of the tithe was brought forth into the earth long before the law was given on Mount Sinai. Family theologians both Jewish and Christian have been teaching for more than 2,000 years that the principle of the tithe is a biblically sound theology. But some of us in our hubris have gotten the idea that we are smarter than every theologian and church mother and church father that have come before us for the last 2,000 years because we watched a 17-year-old on YouTube tell us that we don't have to tithe anymore. Maybe, just maybe, that is the reason uh, why you never seem to walk in the favor of the Lord. And maybe that is pride instead of humility. You see, when the foolish read the Bible and find something that we disagree with, we assume that the Bible is wrong. But when the wise read the Bible and find something they disagree with, they assume that they're wrong. Leviticus 27, 30 says, a tithe of everything from the land. It says that it belongs to the Lord, that it is holy unto God. Some of us have money in our bank account right now that is holy unto the Lord. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all that we have. You see, it's not only people that struggle with finances, that struggle with tithing. Wealthy people do as well, but it usually looks like something like this. I'll just wait until I feel led to give my tithe. 
Wealthy people will often say, well, let me figure out and ask the Lord where my tithe goes. No, the Bible tells us the tithe goes to the storehouse, the place in which you are being fed. It doesn't go to the Salvation Army, which is a wonderful organization. You give offerings to those places, but the tithe is to be given to the storehouse. We often say things like, I'm going to pray about when I should give it. Listen, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Exodus twenty two twenty nine says, Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits. Do not delay means don't say things like, I give when I feel led to. What about Jesus? Jesus never talked about the tithe. Actually, he did in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. It's Jesus says, you should tithe. He says, thou, it says you should tithe. And then he says, but don't neglect things that are more important than that. But he says, yes, you should tithe. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it says, will a mere, mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? And they said, how do we rob you? By withholding your tithes and your offerings. And the Bible says that we will be under a curse for that. What is the curse of robbing God? It means that we will never have enough. You can get raises and you don't have enough. You get promotions and you don't have enough. You never seem to have enough to expand your territory. Let me bring a warning to you. If you are in this house where we never even take up an offering, we never even pass around an offering bucket, and you're angry that I'm preaching about the principle of the tithe, you have a heart problem, not a money problem. How are you going to expand territory if we're robbing from God? One of the worst pieces of advice I have ever heard, and unfortunately I've heard it delivered many times from pulpits, is pastors will say things like this. Well, if you're not quite there to the 10% yet, just give something. Just, just do, just, just give what you can, what you feel comfortable. I've heard this, quote, what you feel comfortable giving. We have preachers in the pulpit because they don't want to make you feel bad and because they have a fear of man instead of a fear of God telling you to disobey the word of the Lord. Imagine if I told you, if you can't be faithful to your wife fully. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to go back to our story. I want to remind you again, God doesn't need your money. God is after your heart. Come on, he doesn't need our money. He wants our obedience. He wants our heart. In Matthew 25, it says, Now after a long time with the master, the master of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. We're back to that parable where it showed us that the master entrusted servants, each according to what they could handle. If you don't like what you've been entrusted with, ask the Lord to help you to handle more. And he gave them talents, and he went away. He came back after a long time to do what? To settle his accounts. And he who received five talents came forward. He brought his five talents saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over the little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the second, 
that was given two talents came back and said the same thing. And the master said the same thing to him. You'll be given much. And then the third, the poor steward, came back. And he had the one talent that was given to him. And he said, Master, in verse 24, I knew you had, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering and uh, where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talents in the ground. Here, have what is yours. So he squandered what was entrusted to him by hiding it away. And that word new there in that scripture means intimacy. The interesting thing about that is if he truly knew the Lord, he would have known that the Lord is not a hard man. He is a merciful and loving father. But a lot of people think they know God and don't know him at all. And this wicked servant This poor steward thought he knew the Lord and thought he had intimacy with the Lord. And his false knowledge of God caused him to steward poorly. He dug a hole in the ground and hid his money. What is the ground? It is the earth. He took what was entrusted to him and he sowed it into the earth. Bad stewardship is when you sow your talents into the world and instead of into the advancement of the kingdom. And good stewardship is when you use your talents to expand kingdom territory. Worship team, if you would come up. In Matthew 25, verse 26, the master answered him and said, you wicked and slothful. Another translation says, you wicked and lazy servant. Listen to me, family. If you are a bad steward, you are either wicked or lazy. And listen, those two roads will always converge at some point. Laziness and wickedness always converge at some point. I believe today that God is going to break off the spirit of fear off of some of us this morning. That God is going to break off the spirit of fear off of some of us. Some of us have taken what God has entrusted to us and we have hid it away. Why? Because we've been afraid of losing it. And we have been afraid to step out in obedience to the Lord. Listen, obedience to God will almost always require a risk. Good stewardship expands territory. And when you have a bad steward, the Lord tells us in this parable that he will take from the bad steward and he will give it to the good steward. And a lot of times in this, in, in, uh, in, let's just mute the, the keys while he figures that out. I'm sorry. I, they, they figured it out. It's all right. I get distracted easily, y'all. What can I say? I'm like, what's going on? Squirrel. All right. God will take from the bad steward and give it to the good steward. And in our society today, we say things like, oh, well, that isn't fair. That isn't equitable. 
that isn't fair. Well, it's the word of God because good stewards engage in their father's business. Good stewards manage well their time, their talents, and their treasures. Good stewards are accountable. Good stewards are rewarded. They become rulers over much. Good stewards are entrusted with more. Good stewards find favor with the master, but bad stewards don't manage well, and bad stewards don't truly know God. And bad stewards are wicked, are lazy, are both. Bad stewards have nothing to offer their king when he returns. Let's go back to our story in 1 King chapter 3. It's one of the most dramatic stories in the Bible. We see this hurting woman. Imagine you are this woman. You have given birth to your child and your roommate has given birth to her child and she crushed her child in her sleep. Her bad stewardship led to the death of her legacy and her future. And what happened? The bad steward crushed her future through her bad stewardship, and then she became covetous of what the good steward had. She said, I've killed my future. I want what the good steward has. And she steals the good steward's fruit. And they go before the king. She's telling the king, king, that's my child. She's stolen my baby. In verse 25, the king says, divide the child in two. Cut the baby in half. Give one to one woman. Give one to the other. Then the woman whose son was truly alive said to the king, because her heart, the Bible says, yearned for her son. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child. And by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall neither be mine nor yours. Put him to death. Go ahead. You get one half. I'll get the other. You see, the wicked and the bad steward was willing to divide or kill the child because she was willing to kill the future of her bad stewardship. But the wicked, the, the good steward, the good steward said, no, she recognized this child doesn't belong to me. This child belongs to the Lord. And I so want my future to live in health that I will give it up. Even though this baby has nursed at my breast, even though I gave birth to this child and I love this child, I will give him away so that he can live. He'll never be mine. He will always be God's. And the wicked mother said, if I can't have him, no one can. You see, a bad steward would rather have the thing that they manage die than someone else to get the credit. And good stewards know that it doesn't belong to us anyways. We just want to let it live. Good stewards say, I care more about what I steward then I care about how it makes me feel to be called the owner. There are some things in our lives that we've been holding on to that God has called us to release. 
I've been there my own life. So many of you, if you've been around Mercy Culture Waco very long, you've heard our story. But three years ago, a little less than that, two and a half years ago, Nikki and I were pastoring a church here in Waco that we founded. We're pastoring a church that was called Legacy. And we had poured relational equity into that house. Our savings and money and our time and our resources and our spirit, everything that we had into birthing this work in the city. And the Lord began to speak to us, began to say, is my will being accomplished in the city of Waco more important to you than your ownership of it? And the thing that we thought was our Isaac, was our promised son, was actually the ram in the bushes. The thing that we thought was our promise was actually that that God had designed to be our sacrifice. We began to pray and seek the Lord and honestly agonize over what we thought was the death of the thing we had birthed. And then God gave us the revelation. It is not the death of anything. It's the birthing of something new. And we released what was in our hands so that God could open up what was within his hands. And the vision for Mercy Culture Waco was birthed. And here we are today, a church that is eight months old, is having church in the gravel, <laughs> in a tent. I had friends call me and say, this is never going to work, bro. You might as well forget it. Ain't nobody coming to church in a tent. It's not going to happen. It's cute for a week or two, but it's not going to work. And look at what God has done. months into a church plan and we've got a new building right there that we began construction on that'll be open in just a few short months and God is giving us influence throughout this city to reach the Lord. Why? Because our hearts cry said, Lord, it'll never be ours. It will always be yours. It will never be ours. It will always be yours. Come on, every hand lifted. Let's stand up to our feet this morning. Some of us need to run down to this altar today and repent for picking up ownership of things that do not that do not belong to us come on some of you have picked up ownership of your businesses of your families of your marriages of your education of your finances and the lord is saying lay it down this morning it doesn't belong to you release what is in your hand so that i can release what is in mine? Come on, sing out to him.
message I heard the Lord say that some of you have been living in confusion. Hang on just a second. Some of you have been living in confusion, not knowing what to do with your children, not knowing what to do with your business, I heard the Lord say. You've been asking God, what is the strategy for this teenager that you've given me to steward? What is the strategy for my educational future? What is the strategy for my career, for my business? And the Lord says, he gives strategy to what belongs to him. And that the key to strategic alignment with the voice of the Holy Spirit is to give it back to him. So, God, we give it to you this morning. Come on, just physically give it to the Lord. God, we give you those grown children. We give you our grandchildren. We give you that those situations that seem to be completely and totally out of control. We give it to you, God, and you give strategy to what belongs to you. Lord, it belongs to you, Jesus. your ways. Teach us how to be good stewards. Teach us how to steward well what belongs to you, Jesus.